1: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: You know, there are parts of Mississippi right now where it's not raining, like south of Grenada and north of Oh, I don't know. Two two counties south of Grenada. <laughs> There's a little strip where it's not raining, and basically the rest of the state is getting wet. A little bit of the, the Gulf Coast, maybe not so much. If you're north of Grenada, though, in the state of Mississippi, since you woke up this morning, it's been raining, and until you go to bed tonight, it is going to continue. What a gross, cold, nasty day in mid-late February. Hi everybody, Sports Talk Mississippi, good to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. been telling you for a few days now that coming up on Friday, this Friday, when hopefully it won't be raining, February 22nd, Mississippi Land Bank has their tree giveaway day. And when I say they're giving away trees, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really know exactly what that meant, exactly how many trees they were giving away. Like, do they have a box full of, you know, pine saplings that you could take? Oh, no. 20,000 trees are going to be given away by Mississippi Land Bank at their six main branch locations on Friday. Roughly 10,000 oak trees, a bunch of different kinds, swamp, chestnut, nuttail, pin, and overcup oaks. 2,000 cypress trees and 8,000 loblolly pines. All six branch locations. It's an all-day event. They've got lunch and refreshments that are going to be served. And it's going to be a really cool day. So if you'd like a free tree or two or three, stop by your local Mississippi Land Bank office and uh, tell them that Sports Talk Mississippi sent you by. Great people at Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Hello, Michael. Way to start the
1: show with uh, a downer. I mean, the weather's bad, but don't remind me. Well, I mean, have you been outside today?
2: What's No, it like I in actually
1: had to work today, so I've been inside working today. You know, like getting prepared for this oh, show. Oh, that's
2: right, because you didn't get in your car and drive from your house to work <laughs> this morning. Um, you didn't leave to go f- eat or put a dog out or whatever it is you do at lunchtime.
1: I had two dogs, seven legs, but two dogs. No, it is, um, <laughs> it's miserable and cold and, and just not fun. It's very much basketball weather, for whatever that's worth.
2: Yes, but uh, for the folks that wanted some baseball today, not good news. Old Miss' game has been postponed. Southern Misses game has been postponed. Mississippi State's supposed to play tomorrow. Southern Misses game against Troy in Pearl has not yet been rescheduled, and Old Miss has pushed the game that was supposed to be played today in four, at four o'clock in Oxford against Arkansas State to tomorrow at five o'clock. and we'll see. We'll, we'll see if they're able to play that one tomorrow at five. Hey Dad. How's the weather in Starkville? Hor- horrific. <laughs> it's really, really bad.
0: Okay. Oh, and like I said, the worst thing about this weather is costing us baseball.
2: Yes, yes it is. I would uh, be amazed
0: if State plays tomorrow. And gosh, there's some talk that this great series this weekend with Southern, I don't know how many of their games are going to get in if it, if it keeps up.
2: Yeah. It's uh It's yucky. And I, I saw a projection. I think it was yesterday I told you guys that uh, saw that there was a projection that Oxford, where I live, would get between 8 and 10 inches of rain this week. Ugh. 8 and 10 inches of rain? Gross! It's baseball time. That stupid groundhog. I mean, come on. No bueno. But we will move on, and I'll stop complaining about the weather. Um, Ole Miss hoops coming up tonight. They play South Carolina in Columbia, six o'clock. Big game for both of these teams, Rippy. Um, lot the 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 line that everybody has repeatedly used with regard to this game and these two teams is the winner is kind of in the driver's seat to get the number four seed in the SEC tournament. There's you know some basketball still to be played after tonight's game. Both of those teams will have five remaining, and you've got some teams that are chasing as well but you're in
3: a good spot if you get this uh, this win tonight yeah and i think the the it's kind of the idea of the surprise of the significance of this game i mean if you peg this game in november you probably think half-filled gym kind of what seed are you going to play for on wednesday you know really kind of avoid becoming being last in the league cuz that's where they were both picked and now it's a really significant february game so Definitely a big game for both teams. It'll be interesting. I think it'll be really close. I think the line was somewhere around two. Um, I think it'll be a really close game.
2: Kermit Davis's teams have been really good against the spread this year. I don't have the, you know, at one point it was like 12 and 1. I don't know what the number is at at this point of the season, but they've been really good against the spread.
3: And probably not a coincidence they've been good on the road, too. Those probably play hand in hand a little bit. Four and two uh, on the road this
2: season. So uh, a big one tonight for Ole Miss, big one also for South Carolina. We'll take a look at bracketology. The latest from Joe Lunardi uh, as we get closer and closer to March Madness. Is the Alliance of American Football already in financial trouble? Or is the start that they had, the first couple of weeks of the season, has it been so good that they were ripe for investment? I suppose it depends on which side of the story you believe. We'll get to that coming up in just a little while. Um, if you have a potential number one overall draft pick in football on your roster, are you okay with him playing pickup basketball, intramural basketball? Just a, just a big, hard no. No for you, Borky. Hey, Dad, yes or no?
0: It's tough because I get the investment and all that, but he's 19 years old and he's a college kid, man. They go out and shoot hoops sometimes. This is not talking about riding a motorcycle or skydiving. It's just basketball.
3: Well, isn't there a difference between shooting hoops and playing a full-court pickup game? Because I think that's like if he had just been shooting around or whatever, probably not that big well, a deal. I, but if you're if you're going when I up say and shooting down the hoops, floor, I
0: mean playing basketball, you know, kay. going down to the rec center, whatever Clemson's version of the, the Sanderson Center is, and and playing basketball.
2: Okay. So you're kind of yeah, halfway yes, halfway no on it. Well, yeah, I mean I, I see both sides. We're talking, by the way, about Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback. National championship winning quarterback going into his sophomore season, rising sophomore, who was caught on video not only playing in an intramural game but having a guy about half of his size set a screen on him and then turning around and shoving him to the ground. Oh, people have got the hot takes lined up for you, by the way, with, uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Manny Machado is now exceedingly wealthy. Ten-year, $300 million contract, he is the first... Of two dominoes to fall that everybody's waiting to see what happens. Leaves Bryce Harper out there. Is Bryce Harper going to get more money than Manny Machado
3: got today? Yes. I don't know how much more, but yes, more money.
1: Isn't Machado better than him at basically... uh, Better is a stretch, but don't his numbers in comparison exceed Harper's?
3: What Harper brings from a marketing perspective and a ticket sales perspective is greater than Machado, and whether that should matter or not, I think it does play into it a little bit. Because, I mean, if you had to pick one, like if you picked a game in well, San Diego not really a great example, if you had to play, see Manny Machado or Bryce Harper play, which one are you picking? Good point. It, it's Bryce Harper 100 times out of 100. Right, but to Borke's point, production-wise, depending on what your team needs – It might be Machado, but I don't know. Worst places
2: in America to live than San Diego, California, with a $30 million annual salary for the next decade. At age 26. Yes. Tough gig. Not uh, not a bad spot at all. Kendall Rogers will join us a little bit later this afternoon from D1 Baseball. We'll talk about the opening week and what he expects going into week two. Uh, Borky's all hot and bothered by the fact that Tony Romo is going to uh, play on a sponsor's exemption in a PGA Tour event. You really hate stuff like this, don't you? It's just a sideshow,
1: and the tour doesn't need it.
2: Why does it matter, though? Why do you get mad about stuff like this? I
1: mean, I'm in the business where you have to have strong opinions, so would you rather me say, ah, no big deal? That's no you know, fun. What do, you, what do you believe? I believe that it's a sideshow, and the tour doesn't need this hacked to go out there and shoot 82 again and miss the cut just for a few eyeballs. It's a joke.
2: It's his home course. Yeah. And... You don't think that helps?
3: He won the celebrity tournament this past year. Oh, man. Out in Reno, Tahoe. He's flirted around at US Open sectionals for actually getting in the US Open, too, a time or two. I mean, he One made of the second round. Football.
1: Yeah, he made the second round of the Web Tour qualifying as well. So he's not a bad player, but do that on the Web Tour. They need eyeballs. I mean, them inviting well, Steph on, Curry I'll to play you makes You can't sense. say
2: that because you got mad when Steph Curry played on the Web Tour Nobody and took a spot from it. some guy
1: that was desperately trying to get his card. Uh, you are putting words in my mouth. I loved that. And, and he hey, proved that he belonged You get there.
2: mad about Tebow potentially getting a spot.
1: I understand why.
2: Okay.
0: I just want to say thank you, Borky, for for playing Ric Flair's theme music in the background here. This is fantastic.
2: (laughs) We'll take a look at the baseball schedule coming up this weekend, plus peek at what's happening midweek for basketball. All coming up your way this afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Tuesday afternoon. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. I think the most important question here is, if you were 26 years old, Borky, how old are you? I never can remember. I'm
1: 26, but I'll be 27 here in a couple weeks.
2: Okay. Uh, hey, Dad, you'll have to uh, jump into the Wayback Machine, kind of like me. To uh, take yourself to twenty six and uh, Rippy, you're got married at twenty six. Did so you? Go. I think yeah. I did too. It was
3: 20, 26 so, when 20, I got married. So
0: it's that's the marrying age, I guess.
3: There you go, Rippy. You got that? It's the marrying age. I don't think there's such a thing.
2: Okay uh you're 23 22
3: 23 i'll be 24 in a month
2: all right so uh you can think ahead borky right where you are right now rippy and i've got to uh, put it in reverse a little bit to kind of get there mentally what would you do if you were 26 years old and you signed a contract that was going to guarantee you over the next decade 300 million dollars pre-tax now if you lived in California, a big chunk of that is going to go to the government. Like, in the neighborhood of $40 million is going to go to the state of California, plus you got to pay federal taxes and lots of other things. But we're splitting hairs. It's still a whole lot of money that you're guaranteed, which is the beauty of playing baseball versus football, uh, the entire contract is guaranteed over the next decade. That's what Manny Machado did. Uh, Bryce Harper is expected to follow suit. He's agreed to the biggest free agent contract in American sports history a 10-year $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. That was according I think initially to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Uh, he's a four-time All-Star, Manny Machado is two-time gold glove winner at third base, though he's expected to play shortstop for the Padres for the next few years. Made 16 million last year, split between the Dodgers and the Orioles. Um really good number. He hit he hit almost 300 last year, on-base percentage of about 350, slugging percentage of about 540. Thirty-seven home runs, drove in 107, stole some bases. Um, you know, just a lot of good stuff there. A lot of good production. San Diego has missed the playoffs for 12 consecutive seasons, and last year they ranked near the bottom of the major leagues, averaging just shy of four runs per game. Thirty home runs in each of the last four years. Um, how big a deal is this for San Diego, Rippy? You're our baseball guy, kind of our resident baseball guy, although all of us like the game. How big a deal is this for
3: San Diego? Does this make them a playoff contender? This year, probably not. But in the next couple years, yeah, I think it's a huge deal because he's only 26. They have the best farm system in baseball. You know, this is about the time where they're bringing up two of their top five prospects in Fernando Tatis and Luis Urias. I hope I said that last one right. But, you know, their farm system's rich. They broke the bank for one guy they added Eric Hosmer last year they've indicated they might not necessarily be done I saw um somewhere where they said they're not closing the door on adding Bryce Harper as well I think that's more just kind of them blowing smoke because that that would seem nearly impossible but I think it's a big deal I think they'll be a contender for the for a long time because now you see the Giants kind of fading out as their windows kind of close Bochi's retiring you don't really know what the Dodgers are going to do, although they'll probably always be relatively good because of their payroll, but I think they're going to be a contender for six, seven, eight years. and you already have Hunter Renfro there.
2: Yeah Hunter Renfro there. If he can cut down on the strikeouts a little, then what I mean, those two guys are going to hit three, four in the lineup, probably. Two, three or three, four
3: Depends on the manager. That would also be another interesting is if they stick with the same guy or they put another guy in there to kind of flip the switch from contending to rebuilding, or vice versa. The uh, th- This
2: contract with the Padres includes an opt-out after the fifth year. So Manny Machado could theoretically make $150 million over the next five years and then say, thanks, San Diego, it's been real, I'm going to play for the Red Sox, Mets, Phillies... Yankees, whomever, uh, five years from now when he's 31 years old. So do do you guys have a uh, a thought on this? Hey, Dad, Borky, is there anything that jumps out to you about the Padres signing Manny Machado to $300 million? Well, I wonder,
1: you've got a trend in basketball, even though Anthony Davis is famously trying to leave New Orleans, that there are are big stars in in smaller markets. And that is appealing to me. You have this line of thinking that baseball is the best when the Yankees are good. And and sure, but I like, and I'm compelled by small markets. And even though San Diego is not exactly small, it's not this blue blood franchise in Major League Baseball. So seeing them be able to make a deal like this Interest me more than if he would have just gone and went to the Yankees or if he was playing for the Red Sox or stuck in LA. You know, him going to San Diego, a non elite power, a smaller market, excites me a little bit because I think professional sports are the best when there is more balance than when you have the big markets that dominate and nobody else has a shot kind of like the current state of the nba right now
0: i sort of see things in the opposite manner there in that i don't think he'll be a i don't think san diego is going to become a contender because of this you know first off peco park 81 games there that is not a a hitter's park at all uh and san diego's pitching isn't great as a guy who follows nl west baseball um so for me, I, you mentioned it a second ago, Richard, I think in five years he's going to take a, a look at his career and say maybe it's time to opt out and, and try to play for a contender.
2: We'll see if he's able to make the Padres a contender. Some interesting comments by Clayton Kershaw, the ace pitcher of the Dodgers who himself signed a really big deal a couple of seasons ago. And he points something out that makes a lot of sense. To, to get the deal that Machado just got, at the age at which he got it means a couple of things. One, it means you got to the big leagues at a young age. Two, it means you have produced at a really high level. Here's what Clayton Kershaw said There's not that many guys that get to free agency at the superstar level that are 26 years old. 10 years seems like a fair deal for sure, and getting that 30 million per year is great. Can't say I'm happy for him. I guess he's with the Padres now. But it's going. It's good to maybe get the market going a little bit for sure. I think the Padres took advantage of Manny being out there for so long, got in the mix. Kudos to them. I, I thought the, the, the comments that Kershaw made were interesting on two points. One, pointing out how difficult it is to get to the spot that Manny Machado just got to at the age at which he got there. And then secondly, to point out that, look, maybe this big signing finally gets things going with the free agent market after all the discussion that we've had in the last two years about teams not wanting to pay big money. And finally, I'll shut up in a second and let you guys jump in. Somebody pointed out as well, for those teams that are telling you that they couldn't afford, didn't have the money to do a big free agent signing, Chicago Cubs looking at you after Rickett said we didn't have the money to do it, we can't spend big money every single year, the Padres' market consists of the Pacific Ocean immediately to its west, Mexico immediately to its south, two Los Angeles teams immediately to its north, and the desert to the east. It's not like we're talking about Yankees, Cubs, Red Sox when you talk about major market teams. And the Padres now in the last two years have committed a little over $450 million Almost four hundred seventy-five million in free agency in the last two seasons. Kind of pokes some holes in the whole "we can't afford to pull this
3: off" thing, doesn't it? I think it's more the length of the contracts that that has teams hesitating than the actual money itself. Because like, there's so many teams got burned on deals like Albert Pujols, where you given the you know eight ten-year contract. But wasn't on he like thirty-one? Exactly. But I think that's part of Kershaw's point. They said, at 26, this seems fair. Um, How old's Bryce Harper? Also 26? I think Harper may not even be 26 is he yet. he 25? Yeah, I think he's 25. Because he broke into
2: the big leagues at 19.
3: Harper is 26. Harper okay. is 26 okay. as of
1: October. Is that part of Major League Baseball's free agency problem? The minor league system? What do you mean? Because guys take forever to get to the big stage, and by then you're hesitant to give an older guy a big-time, multi-year contract. I mean, it takes you five... Some of these guys take five, six years to get to the majors. And if they go to a four-year college, they're 30 before... I mean, they're an established Major League Baseball player. and Who's giving them a long-term deal?
2: Yeah, there may be something to that. And everybody wants an eight- to ten-year deal. I mean, if you had more guys that were willing to sign five-year, $150 million deals,
3: then don't you think you'd see more of these contracts? I think their problem's the length. Because think about it, a a 10-year contract in any setting in any industry is kind of absurd. It's a long deal. I mean, are you going to sign a college football coach to a 10-year contract if he's not named Nick Saban? Would you sign Anthony Davis or Giannis to a 10-year contract? Probably not. Giannis,
1: yes, Davis, no, because he's a little bit injury-prone, but your
2: point still stands. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Just after 4 o'clock with you, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Mississippi Land Bank, they finance land and all the stuff that goes along with that. And they've been in the land financing business for a little over 100 years. And so they know what it takes to get deals done. They know how to help you. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's loans for production, livestock, or other related financial needs, or maybe improvements to your property, equipment to maintain the property, or just buying a piece of land outright, Mississippi Land Bank can help MS Land Bank Dot com. Uh, I guess breaking news, Ole Miss linebackers coach, assistant coach on Matt Luke's staff, John Sumrall, who was thought of pretty highly uh, among Ole Miss fans and among people in the college football world, has left Ole Miss and is taking a job to be on Mark Stoops' staff on the defensive side
3: of things at the University of Kentucky. What you got, Rippy? Not a ton at the moment, but, yeah, I mean, the news just broke. He spent a year at Ole Miss, uh, like you said, played football at Kentucky, was one of the – really the only assistant on the staff that was kind of recruited to go – you know, recruited for other jobs during the off season. Troy made a push for him, so to West Virginia, um, when Neil Brown went there, so headed back to his alma mater. Uh, so, yeah, played football at
2: Kentucky, and – you know, I look. I, I'm not 100 percent sure what I'm watching sometimes, but watching John Sumrall interact with his players, and I know you spent a lot more time ripping at practice this year than than I did. There was, I mean, there was an intensity there, but there was also what appeared to be a lot of teaching going on with a young group of linebackers, and you saw a ton of progression throughout the course of the year this year, with in particular. Uh, Mohamed Sunogo, uh with John Sumrall coaching that position, pretty big loss for Ole Miss?
3: Yeah, sure. Between, I mean, he kind of did a lot with the little and developed some of the younger linebackers, whether it was Jones or Ruggs or Sonogo, as you mentioned, and one of the better, if not the best position coach on staff, so definitely a big loss for him. Borky, does this feel weird from a timing standpoint? Like, like if if you rewind, you know, you get National Signing
2: Day in the past, and, you know, you would have staff turnover maybe after the season, and sometimes you'd have a little bit of staff turnover over National Signing Day. We're almost to the end of February, and teams are really close to the start of spring practice. It doesn't feel like, generally speaking, in the past, this is the time of year where you'd have a lot of coaching turnover.
1: Right. I mean, there are times where you get the post-signing day staff turnover and. I hate that practice because kids sign to a school to play for coaches and then the day after they can't get out of that signature, they go somewhere else. But, I mean, this is two weeks later. Uh, So the timing is is relatively unique and and the loss is pretty big, as you guys have mentioned. Good recruiter and, uh, I mean, he was a miracle worker with that linebacker position, making them from two seasons ago being just an outright liability to where they didn't stand out anymore in 2018, which was a major
2: accomplishment, all things considered. And, and hey, Dad, with what Borky said just a second ago, you, when you get that turnover right after National Signing Day, it feels a lot of cases like teams were just hanging on to try and get through and get their guys in before they make a coaching change, before they push somebody out the door, or before a guy is ready to jump to his next opportunity. This feels different in that it's a couple of weeks removed from National Signing Day, and it's just an opportunity that presented itself.
0: Yeah, just looking at the the news here, their former linebacker coach, Matt House, who was their defensive coordinator, I guess, uh, he just went to the NFL. And and the timing for that's going to be different, because the Super Bowl just ended, and they're sort of in their their silly season, or whatever you want to call it. And, And I agree that you know when when these guys get let go the day after or two days after signing day that's rough and 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 you can tell it's it's you were talking about yesterday about moral equivalences you yeah. know college football and moral equivalence don't go together because it's a dirty business but uh, you're right I, this this does feel different I, I it's just unfortunate timing for ole miss and we'll see who they uh they bring in
2: there's been a lot of a lot of change is this, this, all is this season. the job
0: that tyrone nix is doing
2: I don't know. I mean, it, it leaves you a it leaves you a spot on the coaching staff that you got to fill now. Well, what was he being brought in for? Presumably, well, was, uh,
1: outside linebackers.
0: Okay, so Ole Miss has an inside and an outside linebackers coach. That was
1: it. they didn't last year, but the new scheme and a three-four defense was okay. going to okay. potentially call for that.
2: Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I guess a uh, combination of Matt Luke and Mike McIntyre, we'll, uh, we'll try to figure out where to go from here. And, yeah, one thing we've said pretty consistently with Matt Luke, or, or I, not we, I, I'll say I've said pretty consistently with Matt Luke, to me the, the thing that he has done that has been more impressive than anything else that he's done in the time that he's been the head coach is hire assistants. He's, he's done a good job hiring a staff, and you're really, really close to having a staff now that was hired entirely by Matt Luke, just because of the amount of turnover that you've had over the last uh, last couple of years. Um, Who's left? Uh, Derek Nix, running back running backs coach, is uh, was part of Hugh Freeze's staff and is still on board. And is there anybody receivers else for Oh yeah, Jacob Peeler. Who but did he ever
1: it, coach a season under Freeze? Because I think he was hired the offseason before he resigned in
2: shame. That is correct. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Throw
2: that in. That was Bring subtle. That
0: elbow off the top rope.
2: That was subtle. So yeah, I mean, those are the uh, the two that you've got left that were Hugh Freeze hires, and only one of those two actually coached under Hugh Freeze. So uh, a lot of change in the uh, the last couple of years around the uh, Ole Miss football program. You just ran out and took an important call. Did you learn anything?
3: Um, not really a ton. Other than that, he's leaving. I, I'm not still not sure what position it is, but working on that. Is there but a it, scenario where he's going to be the defensive coordinator at Kentucky? I don't know. I wouldn't.
2: Now, Mark Stoops is a defensive guy, right? I mean, so it's always going to kind of be his defense. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot. You can uh, continue to uh, work that, and we'll try to figure it out and get it to you coming up in just a bit. Did you Um, see
0: where here at State they they finalized everything and uh, State doesn't have an offensive coordinator now. It's Moorhead as head coach and offensive coordinator.
2: So what did they do with that extra spot on the staff?
0: Uh, The tight ends coach is Tony Hughes, sort of what we all projected when he was hired. You know, He was hired right after Mark Hudspeth, who was the tight ends coach before him. And they sort of let it play out to see who they wanted to bring in. And now that it's all wrapped up, Tony Hughes is coaching tight ends. He's also the uh, associate head coach.
2: Does that leave a spot still open on the staff that they could add a position? No. uh, Staff is full. Oh, 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 okay. That's right. So with Tony Hughes, they brought him in and hired him, but didn't necessarily plug him in on the staff until something opened up. Correct.
0: They they wanted wanted to see how everything – because they knew he was versatile. And if, let's say – Terrell Buckley had left. He could coach corners. Uh, you know, there may have been some thought to putting him at Luke Getze's spot at wide receivers. He could have done that, but they brought in Michael Johnson for that. So with everything settled, he's going to the tight ends.
2: Gotcha. So so he was hired to be on the Mississippi State staff, but when he was actually hired, there wasn't necessarily a position for him at the time. Right. And then in with Joe Moorhead taking over the offensive coordinator role after Getze left altogether. That opened up a spot on the staff, and he just fills that spot. Based, Am I asking I mean, that Getzy the right
0: was, way? was the offensive coordinator. Right. So him leaving, he's replaced by Michael Johnson, but Michael Johnson will just coach wide receivers. He won't have any coordinator uh, duties.
2: Okay. I think I'm following you. Um, <laughs> no, no reason to believe there are going to be any more staff changes than Starkville at this point? Not at this time. Yeah. But uh, hold on, though. We we never know for sure, I guess. Um, so there you go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Mike says, was Freddie Roach a Hugh Freeze hire? I guess he was. Isn't that the same situation, though? He hired him and John – he hired Roach and Sumrall in that same off offseason and then never coached with them, right? I'm sorry, not Sumrall. Peeler and Roach were hired in that same offseason. Does that sound right, Borky? I think so. I'll double-check for you. Yeah, because Freddie Roach and Jacob Peeler both just finished their second year on the staff. So, there you go. Uh, We'll get to some hoops coming up next. Got your uh, football fix there. We'll hit the college football fix coming up. In the 5 o'clock hour as well. More coming up with you, Renaissance Bank Studio. CSpire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming Supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. Apparently there are a lot of people on the C Spire text line who have not seen office space. Now, there was a guy that was a friend of mine, and uh, we lived on the same floor of Stockard in the fall of 1999, in the spring of 2000. He said, how did you not ever watch office space in my dorm room when we were freshmen? Okay, supposedly, I suppose that's a reasonable uh, question. Uh, George says he's always been a movie buff, seen a bunch of movies, but office space doesn't ring a bell. Um, Brad in Burnsville says the worst part about working in an office is having your boss constantly moving you to the worst part of the building, like the basement, and you haven't received a paycheck in months. See, you don't get the reference, so it's not played. I understand that that's a reference to the movie. Thank you. I get it. Yeah, but it's getting so angry. I get it. Ugh. Like you didn't think that I was going to read that and realize that that was a reference to the movie? I
1: know, but the character Milton Waddams and his stapler, just
2: uh, it's a shame, really. Okay, well, why don't you read that text in Milton's voice? I'll leave that up to hey Dad. I feel like he could get that better than me. Let me find it here. Hold on.
1: From Brad in uh, Burnsville.
0: Having your, having, having your boss constantly move you to the worst part of, part of the building, like like the basement. and I haven't received a... Uh, yeah, a paycheck uh, for, for months. <laughs> I, th- I think you have my stapler.
1: <laughs> That's pretty good.
2: Well done. Well done. On fire. All right, boys. How about some hoops? Got awesome four game. games tonight in the, uh, in the SEC. Vanderbilt on the road in Knoxville, where the Tennessee Vols are an 18 point favorite. That's an awfully big number. And then you think about the circumstances. Tennessee coming off a disappointing road loss in which they did not play well at Kentucky. Second meeting this year between these two teams, and in the first one it went to overtime. Packed house at Thompson Bowling. Is 18 a big enough number in this game tonight? that's that's a big number but
0: Tennessee is going to be mad they're going to be angry and uh Vandy is terrible and in no position to stop them so i don't know if i would bet it but i won't be surprised if tomorrow we're talking about Tennessee winning by 25 plus
2: yeah i mean like you you could um, you could certainly imagine an 84-62 win tonight for yeah for for Tennessee Kentucky is on the road against Missouri where they are an 11-point favorite. Is there any kind of a letdown here for Kentucky?
0: Yeah, it's the other side of the coin, isn't it? That Kentucky might, might, you know, who does Kentucky have on uh, the weekend?
2: I'll get back to you on that.
0: Auburn at home. (laughs) Auburn, so, I mean, sort of a big game this could is this a trap game I don't I don't think Missouri's good enough to make it a trap game so
4: that's the thing Kentucky I mean, might
2: sleepwalk their way to a ugly win I mean so Jordan Geist gives you 20 it's not enough yeah it's not like Tillman's gonna stay out of foul trouble against Kentucky I mean is Kevin Purrier all of a sudden gonna drop 30 on you and even if he does is it enough it's not enough. Uh, feels like Kentucky kind of cruises in this one. Alabama is at Texas A and M. Who's the favorite here, Borky? In Alabama A and M, Alabama one and a half. Okay, okay. I just I was having trouble figuring out how you had the so so Bama's a one and a half point favorite at Texas A and M tonight. And then you got Ole Miss as a two point favorite as they go to Columbia to take on South Carolina. Gamecocks are 8-4. and And Borky, you ask an interesting question. You say, how are they 8-4? and Let's look at South Carolina's league results. Okay, They started the season in Gainesville, and they had that crazy length of the floor pass that was like a perfect touchdown pass to Chris Silva, just over a defender, and he turns and dunks it, and they win. They beat Mississippi State at home in overtime. They beat Missouri. They beat Vanderbilt. Okay, so out of those first four wins, best win, no doubt, is against Mississippi State at home. They got thumped by LSU. Their win at home against Auburn was a good one. They lost a game that they probably should not have lost at Oklahoma State. Tennessee obliterated them. You could see that being that 92-70 to 70 was Tennessee over South Carolina. That could easily be the score for Tennessee Vanderbilt tonight. Um, so they lose those two games in a row, but then beat Georgia. They lose to Kentucky by a bunch. They beat an average Arkansas team at home. They lose to Tennessee, and then they have a close win against Texas A&M. I mean, that's been the road map to 8-4. and four. Their losses are to LSU, to Tennessee, to Kentucky, and to Tennessee. Those are four teams that they should lose to, and they did. But they've kind of won all the games that they were supposed to win. And if you just do that with the rest of their schedule, I mean, the odds makers and Ken Palm would have you think that they should lose tonight to Ole Miss, and they should lose to Mississippi State. But then they should beat Alabama. I don't understand the thought of them losing to Missouri, or losing to Texas A and M, or Georgia. I think at worst they go three and three in their final six games, and they're eleven and seven in the SEC in a year that, like Ole Miss, they were picked at the bottom of the league. Tell me why I'm wrong.
0: I'm going to tell you, you're right. Okay. I mean, that, that sounds about right, which is crazy considering, you know, what happened with them in the non-conference. Injuries are not, you know, like, like, like Rippy said yesterday, that Wyoming loss. I mean, Wyoming's a bad team, a bad SEC team, even not at full strength should win that game. And, you know, I remember previewing that game uh, when State played them in week one and I'm just thinking, okay, they're obviously not very good. And they beat MSU, and they've just sort of kept winning since then. And I don't think they're going to get in. I don't. But I don't think anybody wants to play them either.
2: South Carolina, this is – people want to say this is a typical Frank Martin team. But if you've studied Frank Martin and his teams, this is not a typical Frank Martin team. They are not as good defensively as they've been in the past. Now, they play hard. But this is not a lock you down defensively team. And they're playing a lot faster than they have in the past. And, you know, South Carolina's got some guys that, that they haven't had in years past. I mean, Keyshawn Bryant is really, really athletic. Chris Silva feels like kind of, Chris Silva and Hassani Gravett kind of feel like typical Frank Martin players. But Frank Martin was ready to cut Hassani Gravitt loose in the offseason. And Gravit kind of came back to him and said, Look, I realize I've lost your trust, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it back. And it's been a slow climb back. But if you look at this team, the future of South Carolina basketball, I think it's pretty darn good. There's some good players but they're going to have to replace Chris Silva. I mean, you want to talk about mega production. They got a freshman in AJ Lawson that's really good. A freshman in TJ Moss who's missed basically the entire season. Gravit has gone off this team. Trey Campbell is a graduate transfer. So he's gone after this year. Justin Mania has missed almost the entire year and maybe their best player. He's had a knee injury. Hase still fairly young. Frank, one of the big guys is a freshman. Mike Coatsar is a junior. Evan Henson's is a junior. Keyshawn Bryan, who I mentioned earlier, is a freshman. So they got some guys coming back. I, I don't know. Hey, Dad, do you agree when I, when I say that this is not a typical Frank Martin team? Or do you disagree with that?
0: Well, if you're telling me that South Carolina is playing at a fast pace, yeah, I would agree with you. Because he is a grind it out and beat you to death kind of coach. And and yeah, this they would they are definitely not playing the brand of basketball
2: you would associate with Frank Martin. Mississippi State back in action tomorrow night. Bulldogs currently at number twenty-five in the net rankings. Ole Miss is at thirty. South Carolina, the opponent tonight is at number ninety-three. Highest ranked SEC team is Kentucky at five. Then you got LSU at six. Where's Tennessee? Missing Tennessee on there. They're also in the top ten in the uh, in the net rankings. We'll continue to the uh, conversation with hoops a little bit later. Coming up next, we will switch gears and talk some baseball with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. That's up next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at Supertalk.fm. Richard Cross. Brian Scott Rippy, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky. And right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball and D1Baseball.com. Kendall, always appreciate a, a few minutes of your time. Not a lot of change this week in the yeah. the polls for you guys from preseason to week one. Do you have to have something pretty dramatic happen to move somebody after just one week of play?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, honestly, guys, I mean, I think when you look at Connecticut, those are the one team we really struggle with because Connecticut, you know, was in our next 10 and our top 25 coming into the season. Uh, they take two or three from Louisville, which honestly deserved to spot in the top 25. The problem is you had one team that being Louisville who was, you know, in the top five who lost a series over the weekend in the top 25. So it's just one of those situations to where, uh, you know, with everybody going into 3-0 or 2-1, you know, you, you can't drop a team out that has a winning record for the week. So we had to kind of stand Pat with Louisville or, excuse me, Connecticut. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's the first week of the season, for me, uh, pretty drastic things have to happen for a team to move a lot. I mean, we, we've seen situations in the past where teams, a team's had room to move in. And they've got, let's say, unranked the 20th. But uh, you know Louisville going down to eight and all like uh, That's about as far as you're going to see from us usually uh, after the first week of the season. Because that's what things can happen. Guys can get amped up, have rusty starts. To me, it's like week two, three, and four. We start to really find out what teams are made of.
2: So Vanderbilt goes to Arizona and they win two of yeah. three. They beat Virginia fifteen to nine. They beat Cal State Fullerton fourteen to nine. They lose ten to two. We were talking a little bit about Vanderbilt yesterday. And I don't think there's any question that that's a good offensive lineup. Yeah. How concerned should Vanderbilt be that they gave up 9, 9, and 10 runs in their
4: first three games of the year? Yeah, it's a concern. I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I, I saw, what, uh, well, one and a half of their games. Had to get to another game Sunday after uh, noon. But, yeah, I, I have to, some concerns right now about Vandy. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, that's, that, if there's a better lineup in the country uh, moving forward, I'll be very surprised. Uh, they're very good offensively. But when you look at the team from a pitching standpoint, something has to give. Greg Fellows wasn't very good. Uh, you know. Patrick Grady did settle that after the first inning uh, and, and put together a nice start against Fullerton. But, again, you're talking about uh, a guy who's a pitchability, right? He's going to be 88-90, 90 on a great day, uh, just occasionally in, the, you know, in every start, a uh, decent slider. But, you know, you look at all these other arms, you know, Kumar Rocker, I have no doubt that he'll end up being a stud at some point. He's up to 96, has a pro body on a decent slider. But you look at Kumar Rocker, you look at Zach Sheen, you know, guys like uh, you know Jackson Gill, Chief Fisher, Jake Eater, all these are power, power arms that are 92 to 95, but they all have major holes in kind of their game. And so I think the big thing for Vandy is they've got the talent and they've got the depth. They've got to find a way to get the, the right formula to get these guys to click. Because guess what? You might be able to batch your way to a lot of wins and topics play and things like that, and especially non-conference. But guess yeah. what that catches up with you, and that's the postseason. If your Vanderbilt is a preseason number one team, uh, anything but getting to Omaha would be considered a failure.
2: Yeah, and I guess they've got plenty of time to, to figure that out. Is, is Southern Miss oh, sure. similar to Connecticut? in that they were kind of in that next group that was just right outside the top 25. And then they have a pretty impressive opening weekend. Uh, Purdue, a team that was in the postseason a year ago, and they get a sweep at home to to start the season.
4: Yeah, I think the biggest thing when I look at Southern Miss, obviously Connecticut taking two from Louisville is more impressive. But, you know, there's no doubt that Mark dakowskis done a great job at Purdue. So that's a Nice series sweep Purdue does had some holes to fill, but you know, you look at the job that offense did in the you know, game two for Southern Miss, The pitching was good. Uh, you know, I, I like that team a lot. I think I said this in the preseason. Uh but you look at the team from an offensive team, I think Hunter Slater's the other big year, they got some experienced pieces like Matt Didry and, and whatnot that lineup and of course Daniel Lynch is the a freshman they really like. So uh, I had no doubt that Southern Miss is one of those teams, that especially especially they can get a series we win this weekend at Uh I mean, there's probably a very good chance they'd be in the rankings uh, a week from now, but that's going to be a tall task. I mean, I think when you look at state overall, uh, I thought state played pretty well over the weekend.
0: Hey, Kendall, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. I wanted to ask you about that series in particular. What, what do you take yeah. f- for both teams? Whoever wins the series, what do you take from it?
4: Well, and, and this is obviously no disrespect to Southern Mets. I think this is a bigger series for Southern Mets. because the, the, the thing is, I mean, it, you know, nobody can argue this. You're in Conference USA, and you're one team in the SEC. Uh, if you're Southern Mets, if you win this, man, you're in really good shape because guess what? You're going to win a lot of games at conference, and, and there's some really good teams at the top of that league. But for the most part, you're going to win a lot of games in conference. And by the way you get a, a series went on the road against the Mississippi State, you can circle on your resume. For Mississippi State, you win this series, and it's still all about SEC play. So it's a, it's a bigger series for Southern Miss in terms of what could happen in the long term at the end of the season in terms of Selection Monday. Uh, but I think, you know, overall, you're just wanting to see consistency from both these teams. I think when you look at Southern Miss, uh, I would like to see them maybe pitch a little bit better on, on Friday and Sunday's. Uh, then I, I think when you look at state, I'm just really intrigued to see, you know, Keegan James and, and J.P. Ginn threw really well against Youngstown State. And Keegan James throwing a, a, a shutout performance. I think it was what five innings he threw with a uh, shutout ball. You know, how does Keegan James and, ha- and how do J.P. Ginn uh, throw against a lineup like Southern Miss? So, I can tell you this: Youngstown State doesn't have Southern Miss's lineup. So to me, those are two things I've got my eye on. How does the uh, Mississippi State's pitching do against Southern Miss? You know, And how does Southern Miss do going on the road uh, in, a, in a series that's, quite frankly, probably their biggest series of the year, and it's the second week of the season.
2: Kendall Rogers, D1 Baseball on your radio. Ole Miss wins, and they were pretty impressive in the opener um, against yeah. Wright State. They lose that second game, and then game three gets uh, gets washed out. Uh, did you have a takeaway at all from, from kind of what you saw or what you read about Ole Miss this weekend?
4: Well, I think the biggest thing for me is I actually had some people – uh, you know, DM me on Twitter and stuff, demanding that Ole Miss be dropped in rankings. But you know what? It's opening weekend, and and, and you know, this is for the football fans out there because there's so many football fans who just look at the name Right State and go, "Oh, that's embarrassing." But Right State has been consistently good. I mean, you look at the coaches who come out of there: Greg Lovelett, he's at UCS now. You know, you know Jeff Mercer who's now the head coach in Indiana. Wright State is good every year. That's a really tough team to play early on. And, uh, you know, they split two games. Zach Phillips had a tough outing. That happened uh, opening weekend, and they split two games. I think the biggest thing for me, you know, when I look at the opening game that I kind of find encouraging, and, you know, obviously it's one game. We'll see how things kind of progress here the next couple of weeks. You know, but Keeper Johnson's a guy that's been in that lineup primarily and really for only his, his defense. And uh, he went out there in the, in the season opener and had three hits and four RBIs. So, you know, that, that could be a kind of a wild card player for Ole Miss because not a lot of people expect him to do a lot offensively. If he can have a good offensive year, suddenly not only does that make kind of the top and the middle of that, that Ole Miss lineup strong, but it uh, gives him some options at the bottom as well.
2: Kendall, I'm not. I'm kind of splitting hairs here because they're still a preseason yeah. top five team, but it feels like everybody's talking about Vanderbilt and LSU from the SEC, and then you look up and oh, what did Florida do? Oh, well, they just swept Long Beach State and they hit and they pitched. Has Sully got something there that's just at this point kind of self-sustaining?
4: Yeah, he does. And, you know, I think obviously they recruit at an outrageously good level every year. I mean, they recruited classes every year in the top five. Uh, But I think the biggest thing for Florida is it's instilled the culture. You know, you look back at some of those, uh, you know, and I kind of point to Texas here back in Texas heydays in the early 2000s. It was like no matter who Texas lost, they were going to be really good. And, oh, by the way, they're going to be in the mix at the end of the year. I just thought Florida is kind of that program now. Like Florida, no matter what they lose, Always has enough guys. It's the same things and kind of keep the same culture, the same expectations. And yeah, you're you're right. I mean, that was an impressive weekend. Nolan, Chris, a fresher for them, to two saves in the Columbia State. Uh, Columbia State is a great, uh, but that's still a pretty impressive series win. But uh, you know, Florida was impressive. You know, you look around this league. I think it's really wide open. You look at the, kind of the opening day that A&M had with John Dugsassis. I think we talked about him in the preseason. He's a potential He's pitcher to the year guy, and he had twelve yep. Ks. Granted, they are playing Fordham, but you know I don't think he's allowed to run like it lasts like thirty-two innings or something. And so, uh, with the SEC this is going to be a lot of fun.
2: Hey, thirty seconds. Give me the three best series that are happening this weekend, weather permitting.
4: Well, I'm going to go with uh, Southern Miss and Mississippi State as my top one. I just think when you look at the two the fan bases and the importance of Southern Miss, the fact. You know, state got swept last year by Southern Miss. I think the Bulldogs will be ready for that one. I think that's one for me. Uh, the second one for me would be uh, probably Miami against Florida, where I'll be this coming weekend actually here in fifth, going to Starkville. Uh, I'm going to uh, Miami and Florida. Gina Damari in his first season gets the chance to knock off their uh, arch nemesis, Florida. And then the other series, which by the way, also be at uh, UCF and Miami or UCF and Auburn, a really intriguing series down in Orlando, Butch Thompson's club. Had a little bit of a scare against Georgia Southern. Now we'll see they can go on the road and take care of a Really solid UCF club.
2: As nice as the new dude is, you kind of won the uh, drawing straws there by going to South Florida in Week 2 as opposed to going to Starfall, right? Dude, the, supposed it's going to be, it's be cold and wet. Wait, say that again?
4: It's supposed to be 87 in Gainesville this weekend. By, by the way, uh, the, the people need to keep their beds off the balconies in Starkville. Come on, people. What were they doing wrong? Yeah. Thanks, uh, Thanks Kendall. That. Have you not seen that video?
2: <laughs> no, no, I've seen the video. My question is just yeah. what were they doing wrong?
4: Uh, I don't want to get you in trouble.
2: <laughs> Kendall Rogers, D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. Thanks, Kendall. 5 o'clock with you, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Last couple of hours, we went to the break and Rippy continued to advocate for jorts.
3: Well, I don't own any, but if there weren't such a stigma, it's like Crocs, I might think about it a little more often. Oh dude, I'd wear a pair
1: of Crocs, man. I, I, mean, I, I don't wear them in them, public, but I, I
3: wear them at the beach. I've got three, but,
0: like, public? it's one, like, for sport, one is for casual, one's dressy.
3: No, I have two, like, normal ones and then the insulated ones. You've got insulated Crocs? Yeah, like the... How
0: does that work? They like have holes slippers?
3: in them. No, well, these don't. These I mean, these have, like, the holes in the top, but obviously the bottom's covered by, like, an insulated, like, slipper type Like thing. How is,
2: there any, is there anything in your closet that you're embarrassed to own? Mm. Hmm.
1: I have two Anthony Davis jerseys.
2: (laughs) You didn't even have to really specify that they were Anthony Davis jerseys. You could have just stopped at I have two jerseys.
1: Yeah,
2: we can go down Uh, that road again. Just know that I don't care. That's good. I'm glad that you don't care. So you're not really embarrassed to have the jerseys in your closet. You might should
3: be, but you're not. It's okay. I've missed this. Are you being shamed because you're a jersey guy? Yeah, I have have some jerseys.
1: I I mean, I like them. Uh, Especially, I've got a a powder blue Bo Jackson Royals jersey. It's awesome. I'm not going to be shamed into not wearing that
2: ever. That's cool. It should be in a frame on the wall in your office.
1: (laughs) I like to wear it.
0: (laughs) Okay. What if about a jersey and jorts?
3: Ooh. (laughs)
0: I've worn a jersey Jorts I mean, combo sure you can before see that at Florida. At, a, at There's a, probably plenty of Tebow 15s with the Jorts going around the swamp.
2: Oh, yeah. I think I saw that at the basketball game last week.
0: <laughs> i about to say.
2: Um, C Spire text line is open to you 601 879 4395. Sports talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We've told you for uh, a few days now, we'll remind you once again that on Friday, you have the tree giveaway day for Mississippi Land Bank. They're going to be giving away 20,000 trees on Friday at their six main branch locations. And you can have one. Or if you're really nice when you get there, they might even give you a few. At Mississippi Land Bank, they say we're rooted in our customers and firmly planted in our communities. Join us for a tree giveaway at the Senatobia, Tupelo, Starkville, Corinth, Clarksdale, and Cleveland branches. That's this Friday, all day long. They'll be giving away lunch. and depends on which location you're at, hamburgers, fried catfish, etc. So it will absolutely be worth the trip by for you on Friday to uh, visit, get some lunch, talk a little ball, and get a tree or a couple. 10,000 oak trees they're going to give away, a couple thousand cypress trees, and 8,000 loblolly pines at all six branch locations. That is coming up this Friday, February 22nd. Let's jump in and take a look at the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And then stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer today because it is Ford Truck Month. That means great deals on the F-Series. Best-selling trucks in America for 42 straight years. Um, So what do you think about this? The video has been floating around. Trevor Lawrence, quarterback of the national champion Clemson Tigers, playing a pickup basketball game. In- intramural basketball. And... Off a missed shot, you get a rebound, the guy pushes up the floor, Lawrence kind of looks in the direction, takes a step, and then he gets screened off by a dude about half his size. Lawrence, who seems to be fairly mild-mannered, generally speaking, took umbrage to the screen, turns around and just extends the uh, arm. The first one is, okay, get off me, and then he followed it up with a second shove where dude goes to the floor. There are two questions here. One, do we have a problem with Trevor Lawrence playing intramural basketball? Number two, do we have a problem with Trevor Lawrence shoving this guy to the ground?
0: I have no problems. No problems I think, at all? No. I think that, like I said earlier, you know, when I was a student at State, we didn't have a rec center. So if you wanted to play basketball, you'd go to the old 10 gym, the old McCarthy gymnasium, where they actually played basketball back in the 50s before the hump was built, I guess up into the 70s. And uh, not only would you see football players playing there, you'd see basketball players in there. I've played against and made myself look like an idiot against MSU basketball players. You know, they're just on the opposite team. So, I I mean, that's what guys do and. They're playing basketball. It's, it's not that big a deal to me. And then as far as the shove, I mean, those games will get a little heated every now and then. Nobody threw punches. Nobody got hurt. It's, it's a shove.
2: We'll move forward. I love some of the responses to the Twitter video. The first one, kids setting the screen just into the transfer portal. <laughs> <laughs> the next response was, what kind of school lets their starting quarterback play intramurals? To which somebody said... Our top two defensive tackles got hurt playing and will be out for the spring. Dabo continues to let them play because he feels it's important for them to have fun and get the college experience rather than feeling like college football is their job during the off season and spring practice. Something to that. Yeah, fair a bit enough. of a, it's a little risky. There's something to that. Dabo's not been afraid to try some things differently. The immediate response to that tweet was plus the Osterin helps, uh, Speed up the healing process. (laughs) I mean, it's fine if he plays
1: intramurals, but whatever Johnny sophomore frat boy is setting a screen on Trevor Lawrence needs to be expelled from school. What are you doing setting blind screens on the starting quarterback of your national championship football team? Well, hold on a second now.
2: You're supposed to just let, because your long-haired quarterback's out there playing ball, you're supposed to just give him a pass? Yes, because if you're the guy... That's
1: terrible, Borky. Terrible? Terrible! Terrible. <laughs>
2: Protecting your school's greatest
1: asset is terrible. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, because if, if Trevor Lawrence got hurt he on got, that...
2: Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to play intramural basketball. Yeah. Screens yeah, you talk are really part hard now of until, the game until the basketball. A quarterback gets up on you. That's well, fine. I keep hearing Dan Hawkins... Go play murals, brother. <laughs> all, look, all I'm saying is if you're going to let him play, if, if it's okay for Trevor Lawrence to play, then it's okay for you to set a screen to try and spring your guy to get to the other end of the floor.
1: Yeah, until you get him hurt, and then you forever are the most hated person on that campus and, I mean, immortalized for the rest of your life of being the guy that hurt Trevor Lawrence.
2: I didn't hurt him! He got hurt by choosing to play basketball in the off season. Okay. I in the course of him playing basketball, I set a legal screen. It wasn't moving. It wasn't nefarious. I was holding my position. He ran into me. He got hurt. I'm sorry. You don't want to get hurt. Don't play basketball. Yeah,
1: because that's totally how that would work. Yeah, everybody'd be like, you know what? You hurt our national championship winning quarterback, but you were trying really, really hard to win an intramural basketball game, so we all forgive you. National championship is off the table, but hey, you really wanted to win that intramural game, so all is well. Everything is fine. The greatest
3: Go ahead. If he sets a screen, that ends the guys ne- if ends Trevor Lawrence's next season, then that guy probably needs to be playing defense for him.
2: Yeah, and Trevor Lawrence has probably made a glass
3: too. On top of that, I don't have a problem with either of this. He should play basketball whenever he wants because he's not a paid employee. And two, can you imagine being the guy that gave Trevor Lawrence the business in a pickup game? What a legend! <laughs> not there, you're not a legend. Why he didn't get hurt? Like
1: because if he did.
2: If you don't want him to get hurt, then don't play the game. If you play the game, the rules are the same for everybody. And for all the people, and your your point is a very good one, Borky. No, it's Clemson, the one. No, Clemson fans would go; they would lose their minds, and there would be death threats on this kid. Absolutely. And you know what? Every single one of those people suck. They do,
1: but that's because the reality they're wrong. of the situation. But no, they're wrong. They, they're wrong. It doesn't stop them.
2: They're wrong. That,
1: that's great, but they still exist. That's fine. And that Don't kid's get mad would at the guy rude. for setting a screen. Yeah, but they would.
2: And that kid's. But you're would mad at him. You're mad at him. I'm telling you, don't get mad at him for that.
1: Tough guy I cross see... over here. <laughs> what, Say what? what? Tough guy cross wants to screen
2: the starting quarterback to prove a point. <laughs> no. I I don't really probably want the starting quarterback playing in a pickup intramural game. But if he does, he's subject to a screen just like I am and just like you are. All right, final thing on the Trevor Lawrence video. Borky, can you really watch that video and not think that Trevor Lawrence looks like a punk? Absolutely. He deserves to get punched in the face, but he's the
1: starting quarterback for a national championship football team. So you accept that he's a punk. Know that he's a punk, and just let him be a punk. He was not the first
2: punk quarterback that has played college football. Hey, Dad, you're done with this, aren't you? Yes.
3: Okay. Honestly, instead of punching him in the face, you know it would have been a power move. What's that? A pair of clippers, just out of your pocket, take a snip. <laughs> that would honestly hurt him more. Well, then you run into Samson
2: issues, right? Did he just lose his strength?
3: <laughs> yeah, he probably starts losing some arm strength. I bet he doesn't throw as good a deep ball after that. You know, you, you
2: don't know what has led up to that. Now, you don't have video, and you don't have the entire uh, you don't have the entire game on film. What if that guy had been like wearing him out the whole game, like calling him sunshine, making fun of his hair, trying to get in his head? And that just reached the tipping point. Then he, then it worked. I'm reversing course now. He got in his head. He did what uh, what Alabama wasn't able to do. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You can text the show on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Joe Leonardo's latest bracketology. What do you think, here, guys? He's got Mississippi State as a seven seed. Matched up with the ten seed TCU, opposite number two seed North Carolina. How do you like that matchup, I mean, uh, there, Mister Haydad?
0: It'd be interesting, isn't Jamie Dixon the coach at? at uh, he is TCU. So you got yes, two guys statement. who were at Pitt, right? Howland and Dixon wasn't. Mm-hmm. I think Dixon was his heir apparent, right? So that would yeah. be an interesting matchup. Um, that said, I guess. I mean, Mississippi State. You said what twenty fifth in the net ratings, right? So seven seems a little low. I mean, I guess with the when you're making a projection, you might project they're going to lose to Auburn and Tennessee. But if they win the rest of their games, and they're that would be twenty three and nine going into the SEC tournament. That just seems like it'd be higher than a seven seed.
2: Really? Yeah. I mean. A 6 would be, what, 24, 25, 26, 27? Right, but I think State, as they
0: if they continue to win games, is going to be a little higher than that. Strength of schedule's good. Resume's good. They would be on a little bit of a hot streak at that point. They would have won, what, 6 of 8? I think they'd be higher than a 7.
3: I don't think he's projecting it as if they're going to run the table, though. I mean, I well, think I just said I, like think, I
0: think they're projecting a loss to Auburn and
2: to Tennessee. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, maybe they play themselves into a six, possibly into a five. Hmm. I think they can be end up as a five. That's a really strong finish to the year, and probably well, winning one of those two that you talked about. Well, I mean, they have I
0: think they'll have an opportunity to win at Auburn. We'll see how that goes, but you know, and then you got to take into account maybe if they get a couple of wins in the SEC tournament, what if they get to Saturday?
2: Yeah, I think they could end up as a five seed. Well, if they, if they do that, yeah, I I don't disagree with that. If they were to get to Saturday in the SEC tournament after, you know, what, winning five of their last seven or something like that to finish out the regular season, it would, it would be 6 of 8, I think. Okay. Um, then yeah, I mean, in that scenario, I could see them as a four or a five. Yeah. Um, it's possible. Well, at first, you but based on like... where they sit right now, I mean, this is not a. But, but hold on a second now, bracketology as he does it is not a projection of where everybody's going to finish. That that's not what so it's Joe Leonard is right, does. right now. It is where you are today. Yeah. He's got Ole Miss as a number eight seed. Meeting the nine seed Saint John's
3: opposite Virginia. That would be the worst eight nine draw they could possibly have. Why do you say that? Because Saint John's probably has the single most talent in the Big East. Like they're probably even a little more talented than Villanova. They just hadn't put it together. I mean, look what they've done against teams that are good versus I mean, look at what they've done against the top four in the Big East versus everyone else. I wouldn't want to play Saint John's.
2: Boys, we just stumbled on a basketball junkie. Rippey just started breaking down Big East rosters. Well
3: Not real. I mean, I I would say I watch a decent amount of college basketball. I mean, actually, pretty good bit. But I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far as junkie. But like, if you watch any Big East games this year, like they're probably they're the most frustrating team to watch in the country. Maybe Chris Mullins, yeah, head coach.
2: Um, all right. So so here's a little bit of a breakdown from Joe Lenardi on what's uh, what's out there. And I think this is some interesting stuff. His top four seeds are Duke in the East, number one overall, Virginia in the South, number two overall, Tennessee number three, and Gonzaga number four, the number four one seed. Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, I'm sorry, Kentucky, Michigan State, Michigan, and North Carolina, the two seeds. The last four buys. So these are the four teams that would not have to play. In one of the first four games in Dayton, Ohio, Oklahoma, Clemson, UCF, and Minnesota. If you want evidence of how weak the bubble is, Oklahoma has three wins in the Big 12. Maybe they picked up a fourth this weekend and I missed it. And they're in the NCAA tournament without a, with a bye. Last four in. Alabama, Arizona State, Temple, and Florida. So that's two an interesting SEC mix. Teams. Say what now?
0: Jeez. So two SEC teams in the last four in.
2: Yeah, and two SEC teams that really don't look like NCAA tournament teams, right?
3: Take the Pac-12 for that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Alabama has
0: moments where they look like an NCAA tournament team. And, like, to, to use a, 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 a cliche, they, they look good getting off the bus. But then they play sometimes and you're just like, they're not very
2: good. Hey, Dad, I'd take it a step further than that. I'd say Alabama has moments where they look like a second weekend of the NCAA tournament yeah. team. Are they poorly coached? I don't think that's it. I
0: mean Avery Johnson is a good coach. Is he? You no, know, he's, he's Yeah, he's a, he's a good coach. He certainly knows what he's doing out there. He's recruited well, but it's just it's just not working for whatever reason. Sometimes there's just a disconnect.
2: I don't think he's a great coach. I, didn't say great. I think he's a, I think he's a really really good recruiter. Um Don't don't think he's a great coach.
3: It's not that they necessarily play in a manner where you're like, man, this looks really dysfunctional on a lot of nights. They just don't show up every night. And then yeah. there's an element to coaching to that, I think, to Borky's point. He, here's
2: here is the issue that I've got. Not, the issue's not right. That, that I have no issue. The fact is that the bubble is weak. The first four out are Utah State, Butler, Indiana, and St. Mary's. A St. Mary's team that just lost by 40 to Gonzaga. An Indiana team that has lost eight of their last ten. A Butler team that's middle of the pack in the Big East. The next four out are Belmont, San Francisco, Arkansas, and Davidson. So currently he's got eight SEC teams. ACC leads the way with nine. Big 10's got eight, Big 12's got eight, four from the American, four from the Big East, and two from the Pac-12. Do you feel like the SEC deserves eight teams in the NCAA tournament this year? They deserve eight more than the Pac-12 deserves two.
0: (laughs) That's true.
2: So the two from the Pac-12 are Washington and Arizona State? Is that right? Yeah. 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 I think Washington's a pretty decent basketball team. I don't think they're great by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they're pretty
0: good. Are they good enough to get in if they don't win the Pac-12 tournament?
2: Washington?
3: Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Both of those teams are. They're. they're that's really the way Pac-12 gets two right, as if Washington doesn't win it, because they're the only team that's head and shoulders going to get an at-large. Well, they've got Arizona State as the last four in. I could see that, but so like, like uh, Arizona State's it? fun to watch, by the way. The
2: most
0: If somebody other, other than Washington and two. Arizona State win it. Do, is the,
2: okay, that that's, out? that's a reasonable question. Would they get three if somebody besides one of those two teams won the
3: tournament? That would only that would just depend on what Arizona State does the rest of the way, because they're the only Probably, other team. Yeah. I mean, unless Colorado runs the table.
2: Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. almost basketball half an hour from right now on uh, on the SEC Network at South Carolina. That one is uh, thirty minutes away from tip off.